Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Laura Ketzel. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by Principal Analyst Enza Iannopoulou to discuss the privacy implications of generative AI. Welcome, Enza. Hello, thank you for having me. So Enza, let's start really broad. What exactly are the privacy concerns with generative AI? What's happening there? There is no question about the transformative power of the technology um, and really the potential that G- Gen AI um, will have and will have in our organizations. And uh, the discussion about risks um, is not a discussion that is supposed to uh, cool off any enthusiasm or uh, suggest that the technology is less transformative than it actually is. Um, I um, think the discussion about risk is a fundamental discussion to enable the technology to increase our chances of success when enabling the technology uh, for privacy. For example, as we are doing today, we'll discuss what the risks are. We'll think about some of the mitigation strategies. And this is really to enable organization uh, to uh, uh, to profit in the best way uh, from the, the technology. So I just want to frame the discussion um, this way. And, uh, and now I'm ready to go back to, uh, to the question. So, um, when it comes to privacy and Gen AI, uh, we have to go back to fundamental privacy principles. In that sense, nothing is new. If an organization handles the personal information of their customer, of their employees, uh, there are a number of regulatory and ethical risks that they have to consider and they have to uh, to take care of. Um, so when an organization decides to use personal information as part of their Gen AI project, and this might be having personal information uh, as a prompt for a Gen AI app, or uh, using personal information to fine tune the model, or even asking the app to search through content so that they, that the organization is making available to the application. All these are instances where a personal information might be exposed to, to uh, Gen AI. And so there are those fundamental questions that organization needs to ask themselves. One uh, very important one is, do I have a right to use that data in that way? This has been the core of a lot of the action of privacy regulators that we have seen so far. Um, and I'm sure uh, many of you might remember also what happened with Zoom recently when in the update to their uh, terms of service, they were fundamentally trying to explicitly create or establish a right for themselves to use at least some customer data that they would capture um, through the, the use of the technology. And again, the, the question around legal basis, the right to use the data is a very important one um, to actually ask. Um, uh, another one that I think it's critical is around outcomes. Uh, for anybody that has done privacy at some point, uh, you will know that the definition of purpose, it is very important. We collect personal data, we process personal data to achieve a specific purpose. Gen AI doesn't make difference in the sense we should define the outcome that we are trying to achieve. Now, when you are using personal information through uh, an app that uh, you are not very sure about what is going to happen to that personal data, you know, that's that's a red flag. It's important that we define uh, those, those outcomes. Again, if you think about the news of the last few weeks, many of you may remember 
um, how uh, the case of uh, ChatGPT that was actually producing uh, potentially false and harmful um, information about individuals. And that actually is also the outcome of including personal information into the training of these models and then um, allowing the model to produce, allow the app to produce um, other information that might be false or misleading. The idea is I don't control completely what is that outcome. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. And so that, from a privacy perspective, um, is definitely very dangerous. And the last question that I'm going to mention is a very critical one that organizations should be asking, do I need to use this data in the very first place? If I'm trying to achieve a purpose, do I need to use personal data for it? I'm using the minimum necessary data to achieve that purpose, or can I maybe mask data or de-identify data somehow, still allowing me to achieve the outcome that I want, but mitigating some of the risks that way. So the question about, do I really need to use that data for that purpose is one that organizations should be asking uh, and, you know, really to think about those, those privacy risks. So Enza, you mentioned this before, but I thought it was worth drilling in on a bit just so everybody comes away with a good sense of where we are, which is you mentioned that there are plenty of data privacy and data protection building blocks in, in place already in some, in, in, in some jurisdictions more than others. So just so everybody's clear, the existing rules apply to, ge to generative AI also, right? It's not special or excluded from existing data privacy rules and regulations. Absolutely, Laura, you are. You're right, the GDPR for um, you know, Europe, but also for those international organizations that serve Europe, um, as well as other privacy regulation, um, then define um, consent as a legal basis, or they're asked the organization to define clear legal basis for using the data. It applies to Gen AI, uh, the necessity to run risk assessments on your personal data processing still applies. And then if we want to go um, into the specific of the general data protection regulation, as you know, it still is that kind of um, high bar standard for privacy. Um, we have things like Article 22, which are the rules around the a fully automated decision making. Um, and those rules are there, and we have seen them already being applied from courts on Gen AI and AI use cases where decision about one of the specific case, it was cab uh, or a taxi sharing service. Um, AI was used to uh, score the performance of the drivers, to allocate different rides to the drivers, um, and then to go on into really managing uh, their, their workloads. And those were made through AI and automated decision-making, and in fact, can, uh, the regulators have applied Article 22. I've asked this organization fundamentally to explain how these decisions were made um, and also to uh, specify which personal data they were using in making these decisions. So there is plenty when it comes to existing rules that it is being applied and can be applied to AI and Gen AI. And the other thing that I think it's, probably good to talk about is this isn't as simple as just making sure your employees understand when they should and shouldn't be feeding information into chat DPT because 
there are all kinds of products and services that you already use that are incorporating generative AI into those services. And so can you talk a little bit about how companies should approach that problem of it may be hard to know if something that you already use is using a large language model and in a way that you may not be familiar with. So what should people do and how should they think about that? That's a, it's a, it's a great question. I think it starts with culture. And in fact, um, um, going back to some of the research that Michelle Getz and Brandon Purcell published around governance of AI um, and gen AI systems, there is this idea of culture. And there are already examples of organizations that are really creating a sort of um, a program for responsible AI. And it's all about helping employees understand how to use the technology, what is appropriate, what is not appropriate, as a general cultural piece. And then we go a little bit deeper into the data assets that you may want to use or not to use. We have seen examples of organizations that have said, look, do not use the technology at all, simply because they needed time uh, to really figure out uh, uh, a better approach uh, to using the technology. Um, we know that success with this technology also um, hinges on having structured and unstructured data that you understand and having control over those assets. And I would say with privacy, it goes exactly in the same way. If you understand your assets, you are also able to start labeling those assets appropriately and maybe create some appropriate usage policy. We have seen from a security and privacy perspective that sometimes we have to label data as toxic data, that we have to label data as having very specific implication. Hence, do not use that data in certain use cases or through some technology. And I think it's going to be the same. I think that over time, we are actually are going to see organizations having more specific policies that are going to help employees understand which kind of data is appropriate to use for which use case, which kind of data is appropriate to use for certain outcomes, which data you may want not to use. You know, it reminds me of all the discussion about the cloud problem and the cloud migration. It was in a similar way. Organizations have decided that some type of data was not going to go to the cloud because the risks were just too high. And I think over time, we are going to develop that sort of understanding also for AI and generative AI approaches. So Enza, in all the places with consent-based regulation about what about sort of the use of personal data, companies have privacy policies that explain, what am I collecting? What am I going to do with it? Why do I need it? Et cetera. If they're going to apply generative AI in some pre-existing applications, say, do they need to update those policies to reflect the fact that they're using an, a different system? Or does the articulation of what they're doing with the data suffice? I mean, I, I'd imagine the answer is it depends at the macro level. But if you can give us a sense of how people should think about this and what kinds of wholesale updating or not is required, I think that would be great. Yes, as you, uh, as you said, Laura, it's definitely, uh, it depends, is of course um, applicable here. But if you look back at some of the indication that we received from the Italian privacy regulator, the Garante, if you look at what the, also the French regulator, um, they have dedicated a whole part of the website uh, to AI, engine AI, um, there is a very clear, um, a very clear request, demand from, uh, to companies to actually be 
exquisite. Uh, if they, with a legal basis, that they uh, intend to um, leverage for generative AI and AI, it means if you are thinking that you want some of your customer data uh, to go into one of these apps, you may want to tell your customer, not necessarily that you are using the app as such, but that you are trying to use their um, information to achieve a certain um, outcome. You may want in that context to then uh, give um, an idea of how you want to achieve that outcome. Uh, let's remember that in some places, if you are doing third-party data sharing, you might let your customer know. You, In some cases, you might ask them for consent explicitly. Uh, for all of those organizations that deal with uh, children and go check for your specific countries what that means. In some countries, 13 years old. In some other countries, maybe 16 years old. They need to have a very specific age gate. So they have to capture uh, the age of those children, have consent or of the guardian or parents' consent in place. Um, and also the idea of informing people, consent us to be informed. And, uh, um, you know, we need to provide the information that is needed for that individual to make that choice. So I would say explaining which data you need, explaining what you're going to do with that data, say if there is a third-party data sharing involved, potentially also saying how long do you want that data for, and then if consent is the legal basis that you have chosen, have that consent enforced properly are some of the elements that we need to be included in these uh, uh, privacy policies. To that end, right, you in consent-based models, you're meant to be able to withdraw your consent for your data to be used in a given in a given system of whatever kind. Do we have a sense that the facilities for withdrawing your consent of having your data used to train one of these models is actually possible and effective? Do we know? I've been trying to figure this out. So if you know the answer, I would love to know. I've been trying to do it as well. Also, oh, I want to be forgotten now. How does it work if I want to be forgotten? And my data is part of, uh, you know, our training model. Um, so I think that we are making improvements in the fact that today, I think there is uh, more emerging um, situations where a user can say, do not train on this content. Uh, we have seen for IP protection this coming. But I think we ultimately are going to see that uh, also with personal information. Uh, the idea is that the starting point again there is to provide people with opt-out um, options um, and to a certain extent withdrawal. Now, if you're using personal data as part of your corporate data uh, to fine-tune a model or ask the app to search through content, you still have some control to then remove some of the personal information from there. Um, if personal information is part of the outcome and is a lot of the um, also work that the FTC has been doing is really trying to understand which kind of personal data ends up into the other side. So that the outcome will actually is produced by Gen AI um, application. You have control there to my, to remove some of the uh, personal information there to de-identify personal information. Uh, all of that will require very strong discovering classification, data classification capabilities for organization to be able to do that. But what happens in the training of the model if your data has been used uh, for that? That is very difficult to see how you can withdraw your consent at that point. So this is why I think a lot of the regulators are really looking into making sure the users understand if they're data is used for those training 
uh, purposes, um, you know, it might be very, very difficult to withdraw consent uh, after you have given consent for trends. Are there a few pieces of guidance or advice, Enza, that you're giving companies and leaders to do right now? Like we just talked about some of the policy potential updates or not updates, but what are you're like, you don't do this in the next, you know, three months, six months, like you're going to be behind the eight ball. Yes, we are definitely, uh, you know, working through our clients for, um, for all guidance. And, um, you know, one of the things that I love, and uh, even if you think about, you know, just privacy specifically, but also uh, the overall governance piece is that um, we have been very explicit uh, with the fact that um, companies using the technology have to think about purpose. And I said this word um, uh, several times today, from my perspective is you need to have a purpose for processing personal data. More generally, the reality is that organizations will need to decide which business outcome they want when they use these Gen AI. They should have metrics uh, that suggest that they are going closer or farther from the purpose, from the outcome that they are achieving. And I think that if you start from that point, then also all the governance and the privacy pieces are going to come into place because think about doing a, a privacy risk assessment. If you haven't defined the outcome, if you haven't defined exactly what you are trying to achieve, it's going to be extremely difficult that you are going to comply with um, the privacy by default to privacy by design sort of things. That you are going to be specific privacy in informing user of how and why you are using the personal information. So paradoxically, even when we talk about privacy, that definition of the outcome from a business perspective is really your very first starting point. And then everything from a governance and privacy perspective will come from there. And this is really uh, for an organization to control what they are doing with this technology. There is one fact, though, that um, I think is important that we consider probably one of the toughest issues to solve. Um, everybody, uh, I think, has become aware of the action of the Italian regulator um, against ChatGPT, OpenAI, when uh, they said uh, in Italy that technology cannot operate unless OpenAI responded to some questions. The issues were some of those that we mentioned. They needed to specify the legal basis. They needed consent for minors. They needed to be clear on what they were using the information for, um, and so forth. Before that, actually, that wasn't the first action of the Italian regulator. The very first action was about two months before against Replica. Replica was a chat, chatbot-based AI application, was fundamentally providing a sort of digital friend to people. It was supposed to be there to uh, help people manage anxiety, stress, um, manage uh, feelings of loneliness. So... You know, it was, we are going into the area of, I don't want to say potential manipulation, but clearly having an impact of how people felt. The Italian regulator highlighted some of the risks connected to really the ultimate goal of the app, but also they looked into the usage of privacy or, pri or personal information. And they had asked exactly the same question that they would then ask to ChatGPT. What is your minor consent? What is your information about what you're doing with the data? And so forth. The interesting part is that Replica used, it was one actually one of the early API partners 
of OpenAI. Replica was using the uh, GPT-3 model, the LLM from OpenAI. Now, I think that the story beyond privacy is really in telling us of these third-party risk implications that organizations will have to face. And this goes to the question of, if we don't understand how the large language models are trained, if we don't have idea of the data sources, um, if they cannot explain uh, more clearly uh, some of the, the way these models are trained, we are going to struggle in that sense. And I think this, the story about Replica and OpenAI actually explain how some of the risk transfer from one place to the other when you're using similar technology. And I think there are so many organizations out there that are maybe using the models themselves and then tuning the model, or that they might acquire technology that contains the generative um, AI as part of it. This is a fundamental question, and I think this is one of the pieces where other time would really uh, need to make improvement for, for this to work. So I'm going to go back to something you said earlier and ask an in-the-weeds question, because you talked a bit about, okay, we already have a bunch of rules about data privacy and data protection, and you mentioned specifically that things like the automated decision-making rules from the GDPR in Article 22, of course, still apply. So... I'm curious whether, paradoxically, because it's difficult, like you said earlier, to work out how these large language models are making decisions. And indeed, you know, if we fed in a decision that's identical three weeks from now uh, versus today, you might get a different answer because the model has different training data because it's been it's been working all that time. So I wonder if, given that, there'll be a short term period where there'll be more human in the loop decisions just because a bunch of companies will realize they haven't a prayer of explaining how these decisions are made for a while. What do you think, Enza? Is that possible or will people just sort of forge ahead and then they'll end up having to disclose a whole bunch of information that then turns out to be inadequate? I think that in that the, there is a large uh, agreement that uh, the, the human in the loop is necessary today for a number of reasons. This does not for the uh, GDPR purposes, of course, also for privacy and, and privacy regulation purposes, but we know the other problem that uh, some of these models have. So clearly the, the fact that you want human to be there uh, to uh, make, to vex some of the decisions and to make sure that everything makes sense, it's important. And there are so many organizations that are really working with that mindset today of having a sort of vision. This is also why really the risk-based approach becomes important. Because there may be decisions that are low risks, and maybe where you don't even have personal data involved, and, and you know that you can move on with those. And then there will be use cases where are really high risk because of data involved, because of the kind of impact they might have. Um, and in, for those, you might want really to have a lot more oversight, including a potential human in the loop. So I think that the risk-based approach is definitely one of the ways in which we will determine how much oversight we want. Um, however, I think moving forward, it will become uh, increasingly difficult to have a human involved on all kinds of decisions because, of course, they will be more and more. But at the same time, we are expecting to improve our risk-based decisions. And also, uh, there are out there a number of frameworks, uh, um, actually risk frameworks that allows organizations to start thinking about which control processes they want to automate for oversight. And so if you start to automate some of these processes, that really helps you understand 
what uh, the, the, how the technology is working, whether there are risks that you might want to look at more in details, that also is going to help a lot. And I think we will end up in a place where the human in the loop is really there for some high risk situations, for things that uh, technology processes themselves couldn't really stop. So Enza, are there any companies who are doing this well today? So from with reference to um, privacy and, and governance, um, I think there are some that are definitely uh, starting in the right way of, um, you know, to face here the, um, uh, this risk uh, problem. Um, for example, there are a few organizations that have taken their data privacy uh, risk assessments and they have and expanded those to really try and capture instances of bias or potential discrimination. And so uh, they have fundamentally used a muscles that they have uh, worked with in the past for uh, specific privacy needs, and they are applying these in the context of AI and Gen AI today. Clearly, I say all the time, a privacy provides us with a very rich toolkits that we can use in the context of AI and Gen AI, as well as for traditional and emerging technology. Um, it's also uh, true that privacy is going to be a slice of that bigger governance and security, um, uh, you know, uh, piece that you need for, for Gen AI and AI, but definitely organizations that are uh, going back to their privacy toolkit, being for privacy assessment, being for, um, you know, anything that has to do, uh, privacy policies, or even looking at you into their um, employee training to make sure that they are now including those very important uh, lessons around AI and Gen AI, those that are using discovery and data classification to also start to look into potential assets for AI and Gen AI projects. Um, all these are good, uh, you know, learnings or these are good um, ways uh, to really get going uh, with, with Gen AI and AI privacy governance. So Enzo, we talked at the very beginning about the transformative potential of this technology. And the for all those who've been following AI for a long time, because it's ChatGPT may be new to many of us, but AI isn't by any stretch of the imagination. The you've really seen a lot of different countries potentially seizing on AI as a competitive differentiator. So you are you live in the UK where uh, I think the prime minister has declared he wants it to be an AI superpower or something to that effect. So I thought I'd get you to outline, we've talked about how kind of privacy regulation absolutely applies to generative AI that's pre-existing, the privacy regulation that's pre-existing and any future, obviously. So can you talk a little bit about what the environment looks like for kind of creating the right regulatory environment for the aforementioned AI superpower, what are countries and and sort of larger organizations like the European Union trying to do? And what do you expect to happen over the next couple of years on that front? Um, so I think that there are two main approaches that are going to emerge uh, moving forward. Um, one approach that is the one that um, the US is considered to take, the UK is considered to take, which is not to adopt a centralized regulation for AI, but fundamentally to look at existing regulation before consumer protection, privacy, IP protection, and so forth, and fundamentally ask regulators to apply existing rules against AI and generative AI use cases. Uh, that should um, allow regulators to have enough flexibility with existing rules for the new use cases. 
um, the other approach, which is the one the EU is actually taking, and also um, China, Australia uh, seem to be interested as well in that approach, is a much more centralized approach where a new regulation is created, of course, is built on existing regulation. I think in the case of the EU, uh, we have heard a lot, not only how GDPR is going to be, and it is a building block of the new um, AI Act, so the new regulation for AI, but also the European Union has been working on updates to our product safety regulation, to our civil liability regulation. They have said they will make changes to the key. Um, uh, the intellectual property protection rules and so forth. So fundamentally, these countries are looking into existing regulation, making sure that more explicitly they can address AI impacts and gen AI impacts, and then on top of it, creating these new centralized um, set of rules that is really dedicated to uh, to AI um, and gen AI. I think that this approach is probably, you know, it's principle-based today. So um, hopefully will give us enough flexibility to address the challenges of today and on the future, um, even more importantly. Uh, but I think it will help us have over time a more harmonized approach uh, compared to those approaches that rely on single regulators uh, to apply existing rules to the, the new use cases. But um, it's work in progress. So of course, we are following, I am following very closely what happened here in the EU as well as, uh, you know, on, on, in the rest of the world. But uh, we'll see, time will tell us which, uh, which one of these two approaches actually is more successful. So Enza, I want to ask you to look into your crystal ball for a moment here, since we've got an explosion of usages of generative AI. What do you think the kinds of incidents that we're going to see that bring on regulatory enforcement are going to be? over the, the sort of first, what, what do you think the first ones or the most impactful ones are going to be? Whichever you think, whichever you think we have enough information to answer. Good question. And uh, there would be more uh, on, on re-predicting what is going to happen. But I can tell you, I have a pretty good feeling about seeing the, um, uh, the kind of Article 22 in the GDPR that we discuss uh, growing. So, and this is not just on the, big tech vendors, but this is any companies that are using uh, the technology, really be careful. If you're using personal data, if it's fully automated decision-making, make sure that you are uh, completely aware of which data you're using, how the decision is made, that you're able to explain, because I think we are going to see uh, definitely uh, for the GDPR, a lot of those Article 22 decisions being uh, being made uh, moving forward. I think the issue of legal basis is another one. Uh, that we are going to see more. Uh, if you need consent, have consent in place. If you're choosing another legal basis, make sure that you place it because I think uh, this is another area where we are going to see a lot of enforcement from privacy moving forward. And this is really the, the companies that are using the technology. I also think uh, that we might see a large fine uh, against one of the big uh, provider of the uh, Gen AI. Uh, technology, I start to see actions from, I said, the FTC. I know the um, European Data Protection Board in Europe is also looking into one of the specific uh, provider. We have mentioned already the Italian regulator. So um, if I really have this crystal ball, I will. Uh, I think that we might see one, one fine, a significant fine against one of the, the large uh, Gen AI 
provider. And um, so we'll see. Time will tell. But um, I don't think he's going to happen. So as we close this episode, Enza, I'd love to just hear from you. Like, what's a blind spot or something that leaders are not considering um, today that they should be um, as it relates to privacy and, and generative AI? It will probably sound surprising, but um, it's really around where personal data is in this equation. Uh, very often uh, I, I meet with leaders that are thinking that, uh, you know, is the, the model itself and the personal data that might be contained in the model, which is true. Um, other times I uh, meet with some um, leaders and think that the problem is all in the outcome. And so which kind of personal information might be shared as a result of uh, using Gen um, AI for the project, which again is true, but the reality is that personal data can be in any part of this equation. Um, recently, I talked to someone and says that they are asking Gen AI to search through corporate data. And then I ask which kind of corporate data, and I realized that they were really looking into a lot of employee data, uh, their biographies, their kind of uh, performance, and, and so forth. And so really the amount of sensitive personal data that they were exposing through that exercise was significant. And I'm not surprised that they didn't think that in what they call corporate data, there was so much risk that they were not necessarily seeing. So um, I would say, make sure that there is a complete understanding of where personal data is from the beginning to the end of the, of the process. And again, depending on which data it is, what's the context, make sure that you are using your best practices there to mitigate in those risks. Well, great. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Want a deeper dive into pressing customer experience topics? Want to strengthen your CX strategy, culture, and operations? Check out the CX cast by Forrester. New episodes drop weekly, hosted by VP and Research Director Martin Gill and Senior Analyst Angelina Jenis. Check it out at for.com slash CXCast. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash CXCast. Thanks for listening.